Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Word Processing. My name's Andrew, and I'm joined with Josiah. Josiah, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. We are here on our podcast talking about God's Word, and we're going back to our kind of usual form today. We're going to be talking about last Sunday's sermon, which, Josiah, we finished up chapter 13 of the book of Matthew, which we were in for a couple weeks, and then went all the way through chapter 14 in one week. I'm wondering if you can give us, like we usually do here, just a brief summary of what we talked about to make sure our heads are in the right place. Sure. Well, the context is that Jesus has just finished his third teaching section in Matthew's gospel. He's finished this parabolic teaching section, and now it's going back into narrative as Matthew shifts back and forth. And here he starts going about his ministry again, and he goes to his hometown first, and he meets some opposition there, to say it lightly. And Mm -hmm. then we find he meets more opposition in the palace. He's not there, but Herod, uh, he's opposing Jesus as well with John the Baptist. And then Jesus withdraws, and then he starts ministering to his disciples specifically. And so we see this continuing pulling back from Jesus, away from the crowds, away from even formalized Israel and the nation as a whole. And he's starting to pour into his disciples more intentionally and more specifically for their future ministries. And so that's where we were in Matthew's gospel. Yeah, I found that section with Herod so fascinating because it's one of those unique kind of glimpses in a side quest a side story that doesn't it's not following jesus but we get to see this glimpse behind the curtain into another point of view from another thing that's happening simultaneously for sure and when you come across those little side stories as you call them in scripture to us readers that should alert us we should stop there and say why would the author in this case matthew put this here it doesn't seem to be necessary for the arc of the story so it's clearly very intentional And on Sunday, I hope we made it clear that this was placed here to foreshadow for the first time Jesus' death because his ministry has been built upon the foreshadowing of John the Baptist. John the Baptist came preaching, and so Jesus came preaching. And now John dies sacrificially for righteousness' sake, and Jesus will eventually die for righteousness' sake as well. And so we see for the first time in Matthew 14, after he's been rejected by Israel, after he's starting to turn to the disciples, we see, not coincidentally, this clear foreshadowing of his eventual death, which makes sense when you see the full arc of Matthew. Why is he starting to turn to his disciples and train them to do ministry with his power through them? Oh, because he's not going to be there. He's Mm -hmm. going to die as well. And so it all kind of fits together. But when you come across passages that don't seem to fit immediately, that's a great time to stop and just think, okay, why? The author is clearly lighting up the runway for us here, highlighting something for us to notice. We want to figure out what that is. Yeah, well, I know even just, this is a bit of a a sidebar, but I know even in the youth class discussing this topic on Sunday, we just had a moment to rejoice in the fact that there aren't severed heads going around on platters anymore. It's not a common thing to ask for. That was a a nice little reprieve for the story there. Yeah, what a family in that that scene, right? Like You got this daughter asking the head of John the Baptist. Thank goodness gracious. This is, uh, yeah, like you said, very dark. The kids were out there like, why would anyone ever ask for that? I'm like, I don't know. So specific. So so specific and so gross, so weird. But then you think about it, again, foreshadowing. That's a gross, dramatic, unnecessary, brutal death. Well, guess what? Guess what's coming down the pipe? Yeah. You know, Jesus is 
brutal, brutal, public, sacrificial death. So again, there's some serious foreshadowing there. Serious foreshadowing. And like you pointed out well on Sunday, it still fits within the point of what this chapter and this pericope of scripture is really trying to accomplish, which revolves around the identity of Jesus and really misunderstanding Jesus's identity and then his disciples starting to get it. What I really liked this Sunday, and maybe this is just because I'm a preacher as well, but I noticed the structure of the sermon wasn't just a verse by verse this week, but you made a point of going through this rather large section, a whole chapter plus the end of 13, and pointing out these, not quite repetitions, but these similarities or these topical commonalities. We see Jesus going into his hometown of Nazareth and the people misunderstanding him. We see now this other location of this palace and people misunderstanding him. And then at the end of the chapter, he goes into Gennesaret and the people don't understand who he is. How do you land on doing something? Like that? Why did you structure it this way? How do you notice these things when you're preparing to preach? Again, when we started this podcast, we talked about the the back conversations that you and I sometimes have about preaching and why we do what we do. And I just thought this would be an interesting kind of look behind the curtain. And hopefully, not even just for preaching sake, but for handling the word, right? For study. I mean, yeah. we're all looking through the word of God, hopefully regularly anyways. Mm-hmm. How do we notice these these things? Yeah, and when earlier you used the word pericope, just to be clear, when we talk about a pericope, we're talking about a unit of scripture, and mm-hmm. it's fairly arbitrary. It's a pericope as defined by the preacher, the teacher, or even in your morning Bible study. What is the section I'm reading today? How far do we go? Yeah. In our Bibles today, in our English versions, I have paragraphs highlighted by little inserted titles by the editor. Those kind of mark out sometimes little pericopes as well, right? And yet different in every translation as right. well, because every translation has also right. made its kind of addendum of where right. this this goes, where this fits. So back to your question, how do I get there? I mean, it is a little bit subjective, but I hopefully I'm following the text itself. So as we look at Matthew as a whole, and you start to see this narrative unfolding. He's been rejected. He's pulling away. What we'll notice in the weeks to come is a bit of a pattern that Matthew employs that showcases how it's getting worse. Everything's getting worse for Jesus. And so what I did on Sunday was took the first full unit, the first full spiral, and then he's going to repeat the pattern coming up. And so the pattern is this. It's opposition, opposition, withdrawal from Jesus, and then miracles teaching the disciples. That's the whole unit. And when we come to chapter 15, he's going to do the same thing. Hmm. He's going to have opposition, opposition, the same verb, withdraw, and then miracles teaching the disciples. Now, in the coming weeks, I don't think I'll do the whole unit, but I decided to do the whole unit last week just because to show it was one big unit. And then, you know, there's no secret to it. It's just time in the word. It's studying, reading, reading. For us, it might be in the original language. It's seeing repetition, like you said. It's it's noticing clues. And you're just trying to pour over. And this is built atop some assumptions, some uh, presuppositions I have that the word is living and active and useful. It's given to us for a reason. And that reason is to make us more like Christ, the icon of Christ. We are being conformed. And every pericope, as you say, of scripture is telling us something to do or something to believe or something to stop doing that makes us in- increasingly more like Jesus. And so the question here is, what is this author, Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, moving us, calling us to do because of the words that he's using here? And so I'm reading this, and I'm just seeing, as I read, this pattern of misidentifying, Mm -hmm. right? Clearly, the people in Nazareth, they just don't get it. He's right before them. But what stops them? It's their familiarity with him, as we saw on Sunday. Well, and they clearly had some idea that something wasn't, something was different. You know, they said, 
who is this? Like, isn't this this guy? Like, you can hear the question in there, the tone of the text, that they know something's not quite right, but they haven't quite made the leap to the actual solution. Yeah, for sure. And you could read charitably and say, they're just trying to wrestle with who he is until you come to verse 57, where Matthew kind of settles the argument for us and says, and they took offense at him. Yes. Then you're like, okay, so this is not wishy-washy question, legitimate questions. This is like, they are asking this question, like, who does this guy think he is? Kind this of guy doesn't deserve to hold this status yeah. in our eyes. Like, Yeah, so I just kind of noticed, like, okay, they're struggling with who he is. They see his power, 100%. And then going down into chapter 14, again, in this opposition, we see Herod, the Tetrarch, again, seeing the power. That's not in question here, but he's really struggling with the person. In fact, he just mislabels them totally out of ignorance, right? He just yeah. says, okay, this must be John. That's the conclusion. John's back, yeah. yeah. And then even through the miracles after Jesus withdraws, we see the disciples struggling with it as well. This yep. is a ghost. They're really not sure. So there's this constant theme of who is this guy? We see his power. We see his work. But who is he? And then at the end of the text, like you said, there's this little scene where they pull up on these foreign shores and people come running to him. But why are they running to him? There's no mention of anything he says, of who he is. It's all about what he can do. It's the healing he can do. And then right Near the end of this section of scripture, there's that statement of the disciples where they proclaim that surely he is the son of God. And to me, that's the culmination of, that's the answer to all of those other misidentifications. Mm -hmm. And so again, when you're thinking to present this, I mean, this is a bit of a subjective call as well. How can I best communicate the thrust, the punch of this text, so that as the people of God, we're hitting the gut with this imperative of understanding not just the work of Jesus, but the person of him. And that's a bit, again of a stylistic decision, right? Sure. And so I wanted to end, and you can argue whether it was done well or not, but like I wanted to end with this punch of the Son of God, it is him. And so to do that, I wanted to start with all the misidentification first and then end with the right identification. Which I think is really interesting coming out of the the first portion of chapter 13, which is this coming out of Jesus's rejection. As we talked about on the podcast and in sermons a lot lately, Jesus is rejected And so then we see this contrast of, you know, teaching the public in parables, but then explaining them to his disciples or making sure his disciples actually understand. And this isn't so different in some ways. He's still doing miracles and healing and teaching in some cases. And then he clarifies and makes sure his disciples truly understand all these things that I'm doing. What does that mean about who I am? And he makes sure that they're on the right track. Yeah. So going back to the topic at hand, these, this understanding of, Jesus's identity. I think one thing that's really interesting about the concept of misunderstanding is sort of by definition, you don't necessarily know that you're understanding wrong. You find out after the fact that your understanding missed the point somehow. So I'm wanting to make sure that we have a solid understanding of who Jesus is. How do we make sure that we're not misunderstanding, that we're not missing the mark? How do we get to know Jesus better and know more not just about what he's done, but who he is. Mm -hmm. And how do we make sure that we're not misunderstanding ourselves? Again, I think this is where context is super important. Matthew 14 does not come out of nowhere. Sure. It's surprise, surprise on the tail end of Matthew 13, which was these parables. And if we think back, the first parable, that introductory parable, was this parable of 
the soils, right? And Jesus makes it very clear, and this was the key to the parables, but it's true of just learning who Jesus is and what he's about, what this king came to offer, what he's eventually going to do, what his precepts are, what his program is like. But he says in chapter 13, he started to reveal to them the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven to his disciples. He says, for whoever has, this is chapter 13, verse 12, for whoever has to him more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. We talked a number of weeks ago about this kind of rich get richer mentality according to Jesus. He's going to reveal himself to us. And if we respond in understanding, humble understanding, we're going to get more. Mm-hmm. But if we respond in disbelief and harden our hearts, I think of Pharaoh here, you know, he hardened his own heart before God hardened his heart as well. Yes. And so if we respond with a hardness, a disbelief, a skepticism, or going back to our passage from this week with skeptical familiarity or ignorance because of our status like Herod or this longing to just get things from Jesus, kind of an apathy, apathy. of who he is, right? If we respond in that then it will be taken away. We will become increasingly blinded, increasingly confused. We're very clear in scripture. Romans 1 is very clear. People are without excuse. Mm -hmm. God has made himself very clear. And if we follow that breadcrumbs, he will reward us with more information that we will come to an understanding of who he is. And so, again, I would just say, you know, it is incumbent upon us to respond to the revelation we're giving with humility. And when we do that, more is given. And we know that the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. It is active. It itself is powerful, that message of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And so um, how do we make sure that we're understanding who Jesus is? Ask the Lord for humility. Continue to search his self-disclosure in his word by the power of his spirit, and you'll know who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Well, and going back to that parable of the sower, it says that the good soil is the one who hears and understands. And then it talks about the fruit that comes from that, how the, the plant grows and have this harvest that is plentiful because that understanding is there and that seed then grows into something great. Yeah, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And in the context, at least I don't think that's talking about good works or mm-hmm. any sort of evangelistic zeal or anything like that. It's knowledge. It's understanding. Yeah. We will grow in our understanding uh, as we respond rightly. Hmm. So what's at stake on the flip side? What's at stake if we if we don't do this, if we remain apathetic or or just rest on our familiarity or our, our misunderstanding of who Jesus is? Oh, man, what's not at stake? Sure. <laughs> you know, what's not at stake when we misunderstand the person of Christ? If we become fascinated with just his power and his work, for example, like some of the, the people groups in that text, and misunderstand his person, we actually lose everything, right? We understand that the power comes from the person. It's very much connected. You know, a power untethered to a good, benevolent, all-knowing God is a scary thing. Yeah. An all-powerful God that's not all-knowing, that's scary. He's just spraying power wherever without really knowing the effects, or that he's not completely good, or that it's not completely all these characteristics of God. That's a scary thing. We want to rightly understand his power in the context of his person. It's the person of Jesus that is the goal. We are being conformed into the image of Jesus. He is the goal. He is our treasure. Again, I just think if we don't understand the person of Christ, we are losing more than we can even know. And I'm talking about believers here. You know, certainly those who don't understand the person of Christ who are not saved, I mean, that's eternally significant. Yeah. But for us believers, in him, in his person, we have the hope of resurrection. We have the hope of power. We have the hope of conformity to his image. We have his comfort. We have his peace. It's all in who he is. And so if we misunderstand the person or misidentify the person, 
I can't even in the time allotted for this podcast describe all that we lose. Yeah. And I think a, a huge thing is our purpose as well in our direction. Oh, yeah. Like, what is the point? If we don't understand who Jesus is and we're not growing in our understanding of him, why are we doing any of this? And who am I following? Yeah. We're called to follow after Jesus, pick up my cross and follow him daily. Well, that's suffering. That's hard. I better know who I'm following. Is he worth it? Is yeah. he worth enduring all of this for? So if I don't know who this guy is, his person, then you know, a lot of it falls apart. Mm-hmm. Well, you ended Sunday by giving us a very direct and clear task where we had a chance to, having heard the this imperative of the, of the text, knowing that we need to prioritize the person of Jesus and understand more of him and who he is, to now evaluate ourselves and our current circumstance and see, okay, now what do I do based on where am I, where I'm at mm. in my relationship with God? And you, you laid it out with five possible situations. You said, if you're seeking or struggling or stagnating or serving or suffering, and I thought it'd be helpful today to just kind of maybe end by reinforcing mm. these things. And I'm going to go through maybe what you said. And if you have anything else to add into this, feel free maybe to chime in uh, a bit as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking at the application part as a whole, again, this come back to my presuppositions. I believe that the role of a shepherd is to help the people of God apply the thrust of the text to embody what the text is calling us to do. And I articulated that on Sunday as, and this isn't inspired it's or anything. It's not scripture itself. No. This is how we no. then respond. Not yes. at all. Yes. But I, and I think I said something like prioritize the person of Jesus. Yeah. We don't want to forget the person in the midst of his power, in the midst of all of that. We want to prioritize the person of God. And then to help us take specific steps toward applying this text. So how then do I and you and everyone there in our individual walks of life and what we're enduring, how do we, how do I prioritize the person of Jesus this week? So you started off by addressing those who are seeking, those who are looking to understand maybe or consider this person of Jesus that we are talking about here. You gave her the task of reading John 14, 6. Said Jesus said to him, that's Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said, read and meditate on that self-identification from Jesus and ask him to reveal himself to you. For the, those who are seeking, who are not yet saved, and they are being drawn to this person, they're, they're maybe confused by him or enamored with him or whatever. His greatest claim that they need to understand is that he is their salvation. Yes. And just, I think I highlighted on Sunday the definite article that he uses three times in that text. I am the way, not a way, the way. I am the way, the truth, the life. There is no other way. And so as a seeker, that's the most important truth you can comprehend and dwell on, right? Who is this Jesus? Well, he self-identifies as the, 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 no one comes to the Father except through him. And so I can't think of anything more important for them to dwell on when it comes to the person of Christ. Mm -hmm. Moving on to someone who's struggling with doubt or fear or assurance of Mm -hmm. who God really is or what Jesus has said. We talked about Hebrews 13, 8, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And reminding ourselves that the Savior that you have trusted, even when you have doubts, even when you don't understand, even when it's not making sense, he is the same person. And you knew him at some point. Isn't that the temptation? And some of these, I was dipping back into my own experience as well to fuel me in this application. Isn't it tempting to think when I am struggling in my faith, whatever that looks like, to think and blame God for moving away? Sure. It's like, God, you have kind of doubled back on 
what you said. You've abandoned me. Yeah, you've abandoned me. You said you would be here for me. You said you were my comfort. You said your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But where are you? Right? And the temptation is to think it's him that's changed. It's him that's pulled back. When we know when we're out of the valley of the shadow of death and we look back, it was us pulling back and it was our sin um, that it was shielding us from him. He didn't move at all. And so just that, again, to look at Jesus and say, and to remind ourselves, again, I don't think I was teaching for the first time anyone on Sunday that that is a, a novel truth. You know, but as a believer, to just be reminded, okay, hang on, he does not change. And if I can think back to a time when I was just following after Jesus and he was so near to me, I realized that he is still standing there. He has not changed one little bit. Mm-hmm. For someone who is maybe not struggling and not seeking, but they have a faith, but it feels maybe stagnant or, mm-hmm. or plateaued, you gave us the suggestion of reading Hebrews chapter 12, uh, 1 to 2. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Really saying that the fix for apathy is locking your attention on the person and beauty of Jesus, the hard work that he did, of and the hard work that we are now tasked with of running after him, of realizing mm-hmm. that stagnating or staying at a plateau is somewhat of a choice at some point we have a choice to to stay in that or to push harder push farther and seek after christ more yeah to realize and remind ourselves that we are really drafting in the wake of his work is an incredible boost yeah right and we've all stagnated we've all had those plateaus where we're apathetic and to just remember again we don't hear this enough maybe that sometimes we just got to get after it Mm -hmm. like we got to grow up you know, put our running shoes on yeah. and get to work. Like sometimes you just have to go, we want to, I want to feel something, something so then I will follow. The motivation comes from the experience. In other words, but but it's actually the other way around, right? A lot of the times where I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to follow after him, do the hard work of running this race that he himself has set before me. And then pray that the Lord will draw, uh, the Lord will reveal himself. It will be exciting after that. But just to remind ourselves that if you're stagnating, uh, sometimes the the cure for that apathy is to just get after it. Mm-hmm. Well, then we kind of switched tone a bit and talked about someone who's serving. So someone who's really in a, maybe a good place in their yeah. faith and wants to just keep going more. They're on, they're running the race and they want to that boost for the next section. You can prioritize the Lord by reading from Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. So really reminding, why are we doing what we do? We need to constantly keep our eyes on Jesus again. That is what powers us and fuels us and fills us with joy and remembrance of what we're doing and why. Yeah, I am convinced that perseverance in serving the Lord is fueled by a huge vision of who we are serving. That he is infinitely good, infinitely beautiful. He is my savior, my Lord. I will be with him for eternity. And if I'm serving to please him and out of the just the sense of overwhelming gratitude I have for all he has, is, and will do for me, there's no end to motivation there. It's, that, it's when I take my eyes off of who he is and what he's done and all of that, then I start to maybe succumb to the fear of man, start to succumb to other motivations that will eventually fatigue and burn out. Mm-hmm. Which leads, I guess, into our final topic, which is the idea of suffering. And someone, we all know this idea well. Many of us have 
if we are not currently suffering, we can think of a time that we have been suffering or we know that we will suffer at some time in the future. And we can prioritize the person of Jesus by reading Revelation 1, 17 to 18. Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and of Hades. So keeping our eyes on hope in this case, reminding us, despite what happens in this life, we have something to look forward to that we can trust in if we know the person of Jesus. Jesus has won. Yeah. He is standing at the top of the podium. He has won that race. Not only run it, but he has won it. And he is standing there. And we, because we are in Christ through faith, we win too. And just to keep our eyes on that victory, that he holds the keys of death and Hades, the person of Christ is the victor, can be a huge boon to those who are suffering and is a huge boon to those who are suffering. Well, like you said, I think these five topics ideally should hit every single person. We should be able to find ourselves in at least one of these spots. And listener, I hope that you have found something of value in this discussion, uh, in this discussion of Jesus and and the work that he has done, but ultimately who he is. Uh, Our prayer for you is the same as the prayer for us, that we would identify the person of Jesus, grow in our relationship with him, grow to know him more and be more like him uh, as we run this race together. So until next time, go with grace and peace. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.